Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction, where fiction and science collide. What's up, WonderCon? This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction. I'm Matt Medney. We have Benjamin Dickow and John Connolly here. Um, ben from the Columbia Space Center and John from Lockheed Martin. And uh, we are here to ramble about the worst science representation in fiction and really cool space vehicles. And before we hit record, we were about to get into a really heated conversation about the poster of For All Mankind. And <laughs> while we are going to dive into that, may I please first mention that we are all Ron Moore fans who absolutely love Battlestar Galactica. With that said, yeah. go. What is wrong with the poster? <laughs> M16s on the moon. That's my biggest beef with it. So like, how, Talk about... How much do you want me to spoil season one? Oh, you can spoil the whole thing. I'm, weirdly, too, oh. I I know the technical guy. I know the, the, the astronaut who's the technical advisor on that. So, like, he's a great guy, and I, I don't want to say anything, like, I don't say anything to get him in trouble, but man, come on. Okay, so, I was gonna say like I was gonna call him up and be like, what's up with the poster, man? No, no, so so I think you're actually gonna change your mind on this one. So you let can't me, spoil let me, the, <laughs> okay. you can't the end of the story. I haven't seen the last two episodes of season one. I won't, so. I won't, I won't spoil past like the first five episodes, because that's all he okay. needs for context. Right now, okay. so for anyone okay, that's cool. for anyone watching WonderCon right now and you wanna watch the show, please mute me for at least a minute. <laughs> okay, so the, the show starts off with, it, it's, have you seen Man in the High Castle? Yeah, yeah, and okay. I know that it's an alternate history right. if we were able to keep going and all, yeah. No, 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 but it's actually a little bit more nuanced than that. It's actually that we mm. didn't win the space race. The Soviets landed uh, on Mars first, and we were second. And then, the, and then the Cold War effectively starts happening on the moon. And I'm not going to say it. anything more than that because it will affect John's last two episodes. But that's effectively mm -hmm. understood from the first five is that the Cold War is shifting from Earth to the moon. And that's kind of where you're Got getting it. it all. Okay. Does that change your mind? Okay. Uh, it Yeah, it puts context of, of those M16s on the moon. But still... The physics of that seem a little wacky to me. I was about to, um, I was about to so? say that. Oh. Like, like, they've got a lot of kick, and it seems like they would just be... <laughs> the astronauts would be projectiles just as much as anything else. So I don't know how they how they solve for that. But it just seemed... It looked a little cheeseball, and I was like, hey, wouldn't you have some other sort of weapon on the moon that would not be, like, kicking you across kilometers of, of moon space? So, so... I haven't seen them use them yet because that's actually season two mm. where they use them. So I've only seen okay. the trailers and the posters with them holding them, as you say. For mm -hmm. all we know, they could they could press the trigger and they could go flying the other way. I haven't seen it yet okay. to know if that's what happens. Um, but understand also that it is like 1970s technology trying that to makes... trying to like figure out what to do, like. It is not pretty, Got it. their space race. It's not this utopian, Got like, it. they make it there and everybody's happy. People die. But, but, but the coolest part about the show is, unlike in reality, which I am a firm hater of, I, I, do, not, I do not think that public opinion should dictate whether or not astronauts' death should stop a program. You're, you're effectively mm. saying that there are humans who have signed up and understand the risks of dying, and then they die on a mission. Mm -hmm. And then people who did not sign up on a, uh, for a mission who do not want to risk their lives are saying, well, we're really sad they died. And then people being like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. Well, those people didn't sign up right. purposefully because they didn't want to die. These other people wanted to push humanity 
forward and they took the risk. And I think that is the biggest thing that we fail at with NASA and honestly, all space programs that we get too scared of of people dying and it is horrible Mm. and they shouldn't die, but you need to push humanity forward. And that is the lens of the show is that they do not stop because of accidents. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I love Although, it. Although, sorry, I, 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 that's good. You know, well, I've, 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 I've um, binged the entire first season over the last seventy-two hours, so I am hyper excited wow. about this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you've convinced me. I'll definitely take a look at it. I'll definitely watch it. And, and like I said, I know that the astronaut who's the technical director or the technical advisor on it, and so I've been meaning to to do it anyway because he's he's I mean, a nice guy, and I should. To, to his him. to his credit, I have been watching it with Alexis, my fiance, and I and every time something mm-hmm. happens from an astronaut capsule spacecraft point of view, she always looks at me and mm-hmm. says, "Is that possible?" And it the the science and the the as the aeronauticals of it are pretty on point. Yeah, I yeah. mean, John probably can speak to it That's more cool. than I can, but I mean, it felt really realistic. No, that's cool. They, I agree. Cool. There's never a point in the show where I felt like they were breaking the laws of physics. Also, and I feel like they were really acknowledging the limits of, you know, how much fuel would they have? Are they capable of doing these missions? Did they have to wait for space, you know, certain spacecraft, the strategies that they had to plan? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, it was just really well done. And I didn't even know until. I don't know, maybe episode seven that it was Ron Moore. I just like missed oh. that somehow. Like I was over at John's. I was in, I'm in Denver, as, as you know, and I was at John's yeah, yeah. over the weekend before we went up to Winter Park. And on Friday night, we were like, let's just try this show. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And yeah, then literally binged it from Friday night till yesterday finish the whole series finish the whole season <laughs> so i feel like i'm in it. And the new season that's good and the new season comes out next week or tomorrow or no, something? just came uh, out so so i think they're actually, oh okay. i think they're actually doing uh weekly drops so i think the first two episodes okay. mm-hmm. on season two are already live and they're just adding one all right every um every week and then you know something else that's really interesting about it is uh and i'm not spoiling anything because this is on the internet but uh season two is a decade later and even within oh oh, yeah it's it's all in the internet so i'm not saying anything and then from what i'm hearing season three will be 50 years in the future um oh wow it's the expanse prequel (laughs) uh, effectively right it is kind of the expanse (laughs) prequel and that's actually a great segue to talk about some vehicles because the rosinante is one of my favorite Mm space vehicles in all of fiction john it, i know it, you have john you've probably waited your entire life to geek out on the rosinante so i will give you the floor right now i i've got to say that it's probably the most iconic i mean there's spacecraft that are very iconic ones obviously the millennium falcon serenity the rosinante i mean you, and, enterprise you know, you, the Enterprise. I guess I think of them at different scales. Mm. You know, like there's the big ships that are, you know, the ones that carry entire massive crews. But this is like, you know, that small class like Serenity with a small group of people. And mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's also when the Expanse has been strongest is when it's revolved around this story of this crew of a different group of people, you know, from Earth, Mars and the belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ship itself, I mean, it's badass. Dude, if anyone saw the end of the expanse last season i won't give any further details but uh i mean it's effectively a giant nuclear reactor um a fusion a fusion drive in in inertial confinement fusion drive which is actually why what's that mean it means it's um where they have a pellet of deuterium and tritium that they will send out and then have a whole grouping of lasers hit it and they will compress the ball of tritium and deuterium simultaneously. And that it can achieve fusion outside of needing the continuous temperature and pressure, not pressure, sorry, um, 
the temperatures required to reach so, the fusion barrier. So, John, ju- just mm-hmm. from a non-scientist hearing that, that sounds much bonkers. So, can much you smaller scale? engine needed. It, yes. It, can, so, can you scale right. that for me to like, um, you know, meltdowns, nuclear meltdowns, Chernobyl, no, Three Mile seen, Island? You, like, like, can no, can, no, no, can, no, no, no. Uh, here, well, I'll use an example here. Okay, we, we've seen this before. What one example? Spider-Man Two. I mean, that's you know, that was Hollywoodized, but in the sense of having, you know, do you remember the device that Doc Ock was building, of where it had a ball? Oh, the pre-Marvel of... Studios. We don't talk about those movies. I know, except for just you. <laughs> yes, but you've all seen that, and actually, that was it a good, was and that was a bad. good movie. It's not too bad. Yeah. Not Jamie Foxx. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, not that that's not a good three. one. No, I'm talking. I think that was the. You're talking no, about no, Sam that Raimi. was the Andrew Garfield stuff. Yeah, this is Sam Raimi. This is the oh, second yeah. one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, we've also seen there's been uh, fusion experiments that have been happening over the past decades of big laser yeah. arrays that are fused. And sometimes what they'll do is it'll be a tiny piece of, uh, it's like a type of deuterium foam, and it's hanging by a spider thread in the middle of this array, and there's all these lasers that are there. And so the idea is that you do it as a pulse. So you're sending out, uh, I think it's usually it's like 40, 60, or 200 hertz, which is the rate of these pellets that are being sent out. And they're being hit by this laser array. And effectively, the Rosinante is riding the shock wave that is happening off the back of this. Mm. They're, oh, they're, wow. they're getting the, the force of the magnet. So there's a whole bunch of magnets that are around the laser array. So when there's that burst of fusion energy, and they're also mixing uh, propellant in there as well. It's being contained by these magnets and the recoil that's happening against through the magnetic cusps is pushing off against the Rosinante and then all of its propellant is going out the back. So, but if you look at the Rosinante from the inside, it's as most ships in the expanse stacked vertically because it is a ship that's used to travel at 1G acceleration and so the humans are, you know, it's almost like a tower and humans be walking around normally as long as they would be under acceleration and then they would flip around mm-hmm. and decelerate. Um, I know that the Rosinante has a tremendous bank of weapons from its railgun to the PDC. Not M16s. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's, I want to get shit. back to that M16 for a second, <laughs> but not right now. Keep going, yeah. John. Oh, okay. Keep going. Uh, I mean, the ship is the things that are where we reach fiction is in order to achieve a 1G acceleration for any duration for any duration of time, you're changing your delta V significantly, and in order to change your delta V by that much, you have to expend a lot of mass. And, and just real Unless, quick for for our uh, watchers, say just quickly. What is delta V? Change in velocity. Cool. So in, um, I'm going to butcher the the name of the rocket, the name of the creator of the rocket equation, but there is an equation of where you have to, you have a mass ratio. And a mass ratio of a spacecraft means the ratio of the total spacecraft at the beginning to compared to the portion of the spacecraft that so, you know, in, if we use a Saturn rocket, for example, uh, you know, what's left at the end is the capsule at the very top. So is it not those, Warner von Braun? What? Let's not get distracted on that for a second. No, he didn't do that. Yeah, but. <laughs> okay. My point being is that the vast. But yes, it is. I, yes, I, you're right. I think ninety. I think ninety-eight percent of the mass of a Saturn V is in fuel and all the components of the lower stages. Yes, yeah, totally. It, it requires yeah. that much. We have to lose that much mass in order to push the remaining portion out of the gravity well. So, in the same idea, the spacecraft, like the Rosinante, doesn't have that much mass. That's not the Rosinante. Its fuel ratio, its mass ratio, is very low, just a little bit above one, which can only mean that if we're going to still work within the roles of physics, that has an incredibly high exhaust velocity, which means that the exhaust, the, the plasma plume that is coming out of the back is almost is a measurable fraction of the speed of light, probably at least like four or 6%. And wow. so that's kind of, that's the thing that was like, that's where the expanse has 
like not only do we have fusion ships in the expanse, but the, the Epstein drive is really almost fantasy. You know, it, it's a drive that has such incredible efficiency that they don't have to carry that much mass. So that's why the Rosinante can stay this small, agile ship, but still travel mm -hmm. incredible distances across the solar system, capable of lifting on and off of a planet without any sort of stages. That requires, in, you know, incredible before incredible exhaust velocity, mm -hmm. so that it can change its delta v with relatively little mass expenditure. And that is where I will stop. <laughs> um, and we <laughs> and we can go. <laughs> I don't want to go it's down. It's funny the, though. Yep. I don't want to bore everybody if we're going to go too far down technical route. <laughs> I, 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 I bet I bet uh, Mike, our technical producer, is loving this right now. Just just FYI. <laughs> uh oh. Did we, did we lose John? It looks like it. Huh? Well, let's keep going. He'll come back hopefully. <laughs> keep going. All right. Uh, all right. Fine. So on that on that note, actually, two things that he brought up that I think is really in interesting. Um, one is that whole idea that you would, that you would have a, um, uh, that you would have this huge ship that would come off the earth or wherever travel in space, then come every, the whole ship would kind of come down on another planet and then the whole thing would go back up all that. Um, that was speaking of Werner von Braun, that was the first idea for how we were going to get to the moon in the fifties and, and, and actually in the early sixties in it was the leading way that we were going to do this was we were going to build the hugest, like the Saturn five is 36 stories tall. This rocket would have been even bigger. Like, Oh really? Hugely bigger. And the idea was the whole thing was going to go up and the whole thing was going to land. It was like a fifties version of a, of a rocket. Right. And in round 61, uh, the idea of a staged, uh, of a staged mission with that, um, interorbital uh, rendezvous of the two spacecrafts coming together. Um, that's what really revolutionized the whole Apollo program. And it was that that got us to the moon, I think, as quickly as we did. Because if we had gone with the first idea, the just the amount of engineering and materials and, and, and expense would have taken us into the 70s at least before we stepped foot on the moon. It was just, it was too big of a thing. Um, that's crazy. So just, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that whole what John was saying is like super important, but it's it's interesting that in the expanse they've kind of gone back to that, but they have a completely different drive, right? So you know the Apollo yeah, yeah, program the is all drive. chemical propellants. The, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 thing um, with the Apollo program, just talking some real science for a second, that I feel in a sense sure. is underplayed. Because like there's so much mm -hmm. there's so much value in the liftoff and then the landing, the fact that we mm -hmm. had two isolated yeah bodies of mass that connected with each other in the vacuum yeah. of space is bonkers to me, and that's the totally part, nuts, right? totally nuts, totally nuts. Like I feel like people don't understand that that part where yep. like the liftoff from the moon and then back into the capsule is like really crazy yeah. that that works exactly exactly and it was and to think think about it too is i think they only had maybe like four practice missions or so before before they were like all right let's do this thing um and it was all it's all mechanical right it's all like sure there's a there's this sort of rudimentary computer that's trying to like match up velocities and stuff but mostly it was all piloted and the actual connection point was was like a ratchet system with these little clips and that that was it like you had these little i think there were 12 little little clips on the side plus this little ratchet that kind of brought them together yeah. and fused them how and then then that was it it's totally crazy john so so we're, no, we're, we're talking about no ben go Oh, sorry. You were just talking about the the ship from the Expanse and how it was this one. It's this one thing that kind of comes on and off of planets. And I was saying that that's the, that was the first sort of idea for how we were going to get to the moon was this build this big huge rocket. The whole thing was going to go up. The whole thing was going to land on the moon. The whole thing would come back. And that it was this idea of staging and getting rid of stuff, and then the uh, orbital um, docking that really kind of got us to the moon as quickly as we did. 
and, but, and, you know, and I was we saying have that fusion every, reactors and... and I was saying that everyone like fantasizes over the launching of the Saturn V and the landing of the module, but like people don't, I don't think, put enough understanding in how batshit it is that we connected two different bodies of engineering in the vacuum of space. Like that to me is the part yep. that's wild. That like nobody like really right. like I feel like the general public doesn't understand that like when Neil and Buzz went off the moon and then connected back with Michael, that was way crazier than any of the other things yeah. they did. Like like there's wow. there is a tiny triangular window. Uh, well, take yeah. it back. No, no, no. Take it back. There's two triangular windows on the command module. No, not the command module. On the lunar module, and then there's a tiny yeah. rectangular window, which is the guide, the sight guide that you have for looking at that little tiny target on the command module. <laughs> and so it's like you're there looking up through this little tiny thing, and you're just trying to guide it in as slow as possible and not yep. miss. <laughs> And I mean, not that, like that, hit yeah, it on, hit it on edge, because if they hit it too hard, it could bounce away, or it could, or they yeah, or it and, break. And, yeah, and that's the thing. The lunar module, the skin of the lunar module is like super thin. It's like foil. Yeah, it's just crazy. That's what, dude, uh, not, anyway, not, not, the last thing I'll say on it because this is still my favorite. It's probably my favorite moment of science because it pairs science with like the goal of humanity and to me that's like the beauty is when neil was landing yeah. it and he just goes on the on the radio and goes landing site is isn't good taking manual control and then he right. lands it and you just you hear you you just hear um uh uh, uh mission control going buzz buzz aldrid's uh um Heart rate 153, Neil Armstrong 86. And you're just like, this right. dude, this dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like a computer morning light going off the second time. It's like, second light, you know, we could abort. And he's just like, no, we're going in. <laughs> I, mean, oh, no. I mean, when you're so that close. I mean, dude, my, my heart was like at 200 just watching the Apollo 11. A documentary on CNN that came out two years yeah, ago. The exactly. one, John, when I was when we were yeah, together yeah. when we watched it. Oh, dude, that the hotel room. room remember the, when they pulled all the footage when they caught all yeah. the footage from 1969 awesome. and dude, they, they my, came my hands it. were sweating. Yeah. And you know sweating yeah. watching that yeah. too. So you're just like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 also, yeah. like that. It's uh, amazing. What, what's the name? I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, uh Honold. Uh, what's his first name? The the free climber. Alex, Alex Oh, it, yeah, yeah. Not science related, but if anyone hasn't watched Free Solo, you must watch yeah, Free yeah. Solo. I knew he lived, and I was dripping <laughs> in the theater. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, he didn't stop for a second. Like when he wasn't just going at a continuous pace, which was most of the time. But he just like, paused and be like, Right. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> Um, in a complete the entire segue, I got to see a spaceship today. How? So, uh, oh, cool. Yes. Uh, today was the last day they were doing uh, final packaging for Lucy and putting her into a box mm. and putting her off for solar array integration. And uh, then mm, cool. she will cool. go to the Cape for processing and launch sometime, I believe, in November. Actually, guys. Oh, cool. I'm Wait, wait, wait. We should have started this episode with this. I didn't even realize it. I don't even know if you know this, Ben, but John built the – and, and please correct me. I don't want to misspeak, John. But John built the um, testing module for the helicopter that is now on Mars. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yes. That's cool. I did. It was <laughs> That's awesome. Really... That's I mean, awesome. you've touched something that's on another celestial body now. That's pretty cool. Well, I was going to say, they never let you touch it. That's annoying. But you can be this close. I Oh, believe me, I've been there on a lot of spacecraft. I'm just like hand hovering over it. And just like, oh, oh guys, don't do but, but, don't, don't do my and also, don't do that. <laughs> they, and also, they, I mean, they clean those things down because they don't want any of your germs showing up on Mars. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, and depending on, I mean, there is, 
I mean, it's not like, I mean, I would have had gloves on. It's not like I had, I was able to put my bare hands. Of course. Next to this guy. <laughs> um, and just to know, like, yes, I, that's a, that's a good, important thing to note, uh, Ben, that I think a lot of people forget about is there are incredibly stringent procedures, strict procedures that NASA has put in place to prevent contamination of other worlds by our spacecraft, mm -hmm. which, which is, is a great, I was going to say it's a the great leading to a, a, a really not so great science reference in a fictional movie, which is gravity and how bad the science is in that movie <laughs> and how, how Sandra Bullock somehow has hair product in her hair continuously as she's floating through space. That is never going to buy. I mean, with, the elephant in the room is the notion of, you know, yes, agreed. Once you blow up a satellite, its pieces are moving into higher orbits and into lower orbits. I mean, and so, yes, if you were in a, a very different orbit than what that orbit was, you are probably going to intersect it at a very car, you know, very, uh, quick vector and you know that could be thousands of kilometers per hour but you know they in that movie they really gave the sense that there was this moving cloud of debris that they were they in the same orbit with but that was going 17,500 miles per hour relative to them so the only mm -hmm. way i could see through that then is that they were <laughs> orbiting in the opposite direction of the cloud mm -hmm. oh yeah, I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. but then that wouldn't have taken 90 minutes that would have taken 45. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so that's right. That's something's right. gotta give. I mean, there, yeah, there, and it would have, yeah. Go ahead, what? I, I was just gonna say, like, you almost think that they did it on purpose for the amazing ramp that they knew Neil deGrasse Tyson was gonna do. Honestly, that movie got more publicity because of Neil's rant than it would have if it was just like an okay science related movie. No, I, and well, let's, well, if we're on that, I'm going to go into it because I've got notes on this one. Wait, wait, Ben, that. what were you going to say first? Uh, oh, before well, I, I was going to say, I was going to, this is the, we'll go right to it, John, but I was going to say, you know, the funny thing about that is I, I've been struck by the fact that in the past 10 years or so, these movies are using science as a way to market themselves. And it's like, this is a, this is like a real, this is like the real thing. This was, and it started with gravity, right? Like the way it's shot and all that stuff. It gives you the sense that, oh, this is, must be what it's really like. Um, and so they're banking on that. But at the same time, as soon as anybody comes up and says, hey, that's not right. They're like, oh, but this is fiction. This is, it's not supposed to be real. It's totally fine. Like what, what's the deal? Which one are you going to have? Yeah. And I mean, and now, and now at Astra. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so the, starter, <laughs> the director of Ad Astra came to give an interview at Lockheed while sitting in one of the test habitats for Halo that I had helped build and talking about how Ad Astra was going to be so adherent to science. And Lockheed actually gets a visual, <laughs> Lockheed actually gets a visual drop in there. They get a call out because the people at the very beginning in the top of the tower are wearing these Lockheed Martin jackets when uh, Brad Pitt is walking out into the sunlight. Um, and during that time, you know, they're saying like, this is going to be so tentatively accurate. So for starters, okay. They are traveling between earth and Mars. Or, sorry, they're traveling between the moon and Mars. They decide to stop at a random space station. That would take weeks out of your journey. If not potentially just make it physically impossible. The idea that you're going to, you know, very rarely in, do spacecraft have large margins of fuel with them. I highly doubt that right, that one right, did yeah. either. You know, that once you, once you were going from A to B, rarely would you deviate unless it was something super critical. And right. that was not critical enough to merit it. Two, taking your seatbelt off while in a launching vehicle that's about to be spacing. Or not spacing, that's about to be um, segmenting. That is insane. Three, shooting a gun inside of a spacecraft, also insane. Four, riding the wave of an antimatter explosion. There's what is what are you, your ship pushing against? An expanding, you know, gas cloud and shrapnel that's about to just hit you at a fraction of the speed of light and kill you. Hey, and also just what was that spacecraft's capability? Like it's capable of reaching Neptune in seventy-seven days, but they haven't ventured into the outer solar system in fifteen years. Like yeah, right. 
Right, oh, and, right, and, right. and that the energy coming from the antimatter was getting stronger over distance, which is a direct contradiction mm-hmm. of... And they didn't... Right. They didn't have intensity bases. decreases with the square of distance. And, and, and John, they didn't have any bases on um, um, Europa or Ganymede or, Ganymede. or anything, right? Right, no, they, they didn't have any right, of those, right, right. but they could get to Neptune in seventy-seven days. Yeah, they and, and they and they and they had what was clearly, you know, decades, if not like centuries, of colonization on Mars already. And it was like, ooh, right, we, we still it, there was just such a strange mismatch. The most accurate part was when they were on the moon and they were driving around and being um, <laughs> assaulted by those pirates or you know those people trying to capture them, and capture right. Them. And the but how were there pirates on the moon? Can we just talk about that for a second? That part to me was so unreal. Like pirates well, on the moon? Well, let me. What let, are let me we talking it, about? Let me posit it to you this way: If you do, you know, if you're on the moon and you're a bunch of different nations having different regions on the moon, and there's a lot of blank areas in between, and you don't have much in the line of a policing force, it's not exactly easy to just like go out and stop people. I mean, that's kind of what they do, though. I mean, once they get, they hit, shoot him with a missile. But, but, but the how end. would they have? How would they have? Like, how oh, because they they're being protected. There? Because they were being protected by certain nations. That was it. That was like two oh, second lines right. that they were at, being at, harbored. Mm. Correct, correct. I do remember mm. that. You know, at least Ad Astra didn't have iPhones working in orbit like Away did. Did you see Away? No, I saw. You told Bro, you told me she, before I watched she, it. Hillary Hillary Swank called her son on an iPhone from space. <laughs> Pretty sure you'd be moving from tower to tower too quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a roaming. I was gonna say a roaming charge. Maybe maybe a sack like, phone. <laughs> no, no, she was FaceTiming. She was FaceTiming. I mean. <laughs> Steve Jobs is doing work, good work from the grave, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> speaking of well, speaking of crazy crazy billionaires, though, in this whole thing, when you're talking about um, uh, law on the moon, you know, Elon for the past couple of weeks has been talking about like, well, when we go to Mars, we're not going to have any laws. We're doing our own thing. So I mean, technically, which, according to Mark Watney, Mars and the moon are under maritime law, right? That would make sense. Well, there. But Elon's not going to do it because Elon does his own thing. Well, what's interesting so is that we what have. What do you the think, though? Hold on, Ben. Wait, wait, but, is... but, 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 yeah, Ben. What do you think? Uh, like, like you know, external from anything else. Uh, from you know, if you had a gazillion dollars like Elon does, and you built an entire <laughs> fleet of spaceships, and you're the only person on Mars, I mean. I, I think it's one of those things. It's like if you get there, no one else is even remotely close to getting there. It's kind of your 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 gig, right? Okay, but then don't wrap yourself up into hey, we're inspiring humanity and we're going to keep you know pushing forward because then you're really just doing it for your own ego and that and for your own thing at the end. So I don't know if if you're going to do this for all person kind, then then structure yourself for all person kind. But I think I think Elon sometimes has a poor way of uh, communicating what he means. My assumption, <laughs> without without seeing the interview that you're speaking of, which my assumption would be that what he means is the laws on Earth are broken and make no sense, and they shouldn't adhere to them on Mars. And maybe we need new and different laws. Well, for, I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere he's saying that. Yes. Well, for a time yes. when Mars is still small and a small colony, it'll be able to, in theory, operate under like a much smaller idealistic republic or some kind yeah. of government that they can create for themselves. You know, it, it'll eventually become too well, large, it, and, and then it, it'll be subject to corruption and entropy. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's no, if there's <laughs> no resources. If there's no resources or goods to really mine and everything's being brought mm. in, then you're effectively kind of like a communistic version of the giver because everybody's working together at an equal level to get things That's done. Yeah. You're not really right. – you're, you're the. You, I mean the giver is effectively a communistic story 
And that's effectively mm-hmm. what you would be is you'd all be equals mm-hmm. trying to make sure you don't all die. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it would be, and, I mean, just, it's going to be, if someone's trying to operate too much of, as an autocrat and they piss too many people off and there's no one to stop those pissed off people. And then it's just like people on revolution. I mean, that's, you know, what, that's, <laughs> and I think we've seen different, I'm, I'm going to struggle to come to mind and you're going to have to help me with some examples, but I know there are some, uh, sun, uh, sunshine is kind of one. I think of like a, a small group of people mm. in space who like some are kind of losing it, but the idea of like the threat of one human being in a closed environment and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I, I don't want them to like make a movie and then have the public get dissuaded by the notion of it. But I think that is a real possibility. You know, if you had 10 people or 20 people on a colony in Mars and someone turned off the surveillance system and someone started knocking people off one at a time but it's not you can't blame it on an alien like the thing you know just that but you know there's no help it's like you got to figure out yourself you're right right it's just right it's going to be a challenge i mean that's going to be something that's going to have have to be you have Mm -hmm. to be vetted and even then even then your vetting is almost like meaningless right because like no one knows what they're what's going to happen to the psyche right like 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 mm-hmm. obviously the baseline, you have to be a good person. You can't be a criminal and you have to be like relatively intelligent because you have to survive on another planet. But once you're there, mm-hmm. all of the other tests kind of go out the window because the second that you have that moment and you'll have the moment where you're like, oh, yeah. I'm very <laughs> far from home. Yeah. Like, it, yep. it, it'll crack some people and you won't yeah. know how to handle that until you handle it. There's no like vetting right. for that. Right, because even right. if you're on Earth in a training simulation, you know home's only a few thousand miles away, tops. Or but home if you have like out the door, like the idea of being right. able to walk out a door, like reset yourself. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but but when yeah. you're on Mars, <laughs> you're yeah. you are far away from home. Well, we'll, we'll yeah, that's for see, sure. You're in it for the long. We'll run. have to see how you know walking around the moon. And see how people hold up, because at least you can bring them back mm-hmm. relatively quickly. Pretty quickly. If, if, if we see right. if we see a definitive trend of people just like not being able to hack it, then we might I have mean, to right. rethink space travel. <laughs> I mean, John, John, we've all seen Moon with Sam Rockwell, oh. right? Fantastic. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That's good. But he's Talking also by himself. That... So I mean, that's like I mean, I, I think that's a terrible idea. Sure. Right, but but maybe you're going to be by yourself for a certain period of time, right? Who knows? Well, I mean, maybe. But remember when Elon had the call out? I don't think it was Elon necessarily, but there was that you could sign up for the people interested in going to Mars, and you saw a lot of the interviews, and they were just like some really introverted people. I'll put, I'll leave it at that. And (laughs) you know, they're like the type of people where I feel like if you had more than one of them together on any spot, they would just Mm -hmm. all die. But maybe you're right. Maybe they're perfect for like the one man, one woman, one person operation. I, Who knows? I, I, I tend to think that an overly introverted person would would probably fail. I think someone that is enjoys being introverted but can be very extroverted is like the perfect person for that. Because you need someone that can be okay being alone for two weeks doing a science project that has to be like done in a certain way, but also like right. won't stab somebody on Mars because they don't like what they said and they don't know how else to handle it. And that right. is yeah, I mean no 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 psychopath. But 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 the same thing though. Like look at even just lose Corona as an example. Over the past year we have seen a tremendous, a dramatic and scary increase in the amount of domestic violence that has happened. Mm-hmm. And, well as, and suicides. And suicides. Yeah. Right from and, being and, isolated. And, That's a good tell. Yeah, and this, and this isolation is Mars. A, yeah, and this isolation is a fraction yeah. of the type of isolation that we would be seeing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I So yeah. I think it's pushed even the people who really thought themselves as being hardcore introverted began to realize at some point that they did need other human interaction. And also, mm-hmm. like, you're not 
if you don't have more than one person and you're farther away than really like the distance of the moon to earth, you're never going to have any live communication. Mm hmm. Right. Like how, right. how, how enjoyable is communicating solely through video messages, which is what will be happening as we go well, out into the cosmos. That's actually a great, <laughs> sure, a great sure. transition point, John. Why don't you give our viewers an insight and then you too on how realistic something like sub light communication in Star Trek is. Is there any mm. oh, sub realistic subspace? Is there yeah. any realistic way to have more instantaneous communication, quantum entangled perhaps? But let's kind of dive into that for a second. How would you communicate not just from Earth to Mars or Earth to Ganymede, but what if sure, we sure. went Earth to Proxima Centauri? Like, is is there any right. way to actually do that with our current understanding of physics? Ben? Ben? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but uh, but I was just I was going to take the cheap way out and say, you know, if we're talking about subspace, right? To, if you if we can get out there, then there's we figured out some way to get things to go faster than light, or at least get around that in somehow. So. I'm wondering if there's some, there might be some sort of communication technique that we've got um, that follows us around with that. Um, but yeah, as of right now, no. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. If it's if it takes seven minutes or eleven minutes or whatever it is to get a signal back and forth to Mars, I would think that we would have figured out or at least be working on a more instantaneous way to get information back and forth. And if we haven't hit it yet, we probably are where we're supposed to be. And quantum John. entangled. Is there, is there anything with that? So no, as well, a, with our current understanding of quantum entanglement, the act of observing the, whatever information a subatomic particle or a quantum entangled particle would contain would be destroyed. So, you you can quantum entangle particles and they can be exhibiting the same states you know spin the different factors that are that are going into play but as soon mm -hmm. and you can encode one but as soon as you try to read it you'll destroy the data and you can't you can't read at the other end so mm -hmm. it might exist maybe it's a further understanding of um Let's say chroma. What does it say? Chroma quantum mechanics. The idea of like a color charge and red, blue, blue. we're not going to get down there. Um, as of right now, though, not no, not even quantum entanglement gives us the ability to actually move information faster than the speed of light, or or like the ability to transfer information or is there, but we have no way to read it. Um, the only other way I can think is you know, so. There's no effect. No, I mean, not, not with not within our understanding of physics. I mean, if, if you went into, you know, if you went then into, you know, Star Trek physics, you know, maybe a warp bubble, maybe past, maybe in hyperspace, maybe wormholes, maybe quantum entanglement that does allow you to transfer mm -hmm. information instantaneously. Um, mm -hmm. But nope, that's do speed, you think it's speed limit? Do you see so, light? <laughs> so 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 just just to dig into that a little bit more because something we've talked about this on other episodes right my 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 general thought is we've gone from you know prop propeller plane to you know robots on mars and call it generously 150 years it's probably closer to like 110 but let's just like say it's one yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well because it was like 1897 or something that the wright brothers did the plane uh -uh. right wasn't it like 1903 oh it was 1903 okay so it's, mm -hmm. so it's 117 mm -hmm. years right whatever it is mm -hmm. um to today my assumption is in like a thousand years or ten thousand years or a million years as long as we don't get uh hindered by a great filter we should be <laughs> able to figure out more right or or no or 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 like just for, for, for you know, for WonderCon. This is here, the part. Humor me. I need. To, listen. This is the thing. This is the part of the podcast that I love the most. When we start like transversing, it's not science and science fiction. We start getting into like more philosophy and so or sort of approaches to life on these things, and I it's it's the best. So I think for this, it's 
I would love to think that there that progress is this sort of you know upward, generally upward kind of uh, you know slope. But you know, if we could just decide, like, hey, we're good. This is this is as much as we have to do right now. We can't, you know, and this is super. Um, this is super cynical, but yeah, there's no profit in it or something like that. And we just kind of like put the brakes on progress. That's, you know, I mean, I, there are, there are people out there who really think that progress is a dirty word. And to me, that means that they don't want, they don't want that sort of like upward or at least just a, just a regular trajectory. But but would you, Um, Ben, would you argue that that might be a great filter is our inability to band together Right, because like we always sure. talk about great yeah. filters as existential threats, right? Whether it's an asteroid yeah, yeah. or the sun, you know, right? Uh, we we have mm-hmm. a time. We we know unequivocally with our current understanding of physics and our sun that there is an expiration date on Earth, right? It's like sure. a billion or billion plus years, but five, some, yeah, five, five billion, billion years, yeah, right? Well, less than that till the Earth cooks, like a billion. We'll go with that. Sure, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. But but at some point. In, in a measurable time scale, which is relatively small compared to the entirety of the universe, the earth will be gone, mm-hmm. period. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, with that, we have, we have an expiration date and, you know, mm-hmm. I hope that, and to your point, progress, you know, progress gets hindered, but progress I think is not, is not what drives us to these things. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I, I'm more of a hopeful believer that it's curiosity, that and, and curiosity mm. is not t- tarnished or tainted by profit or by business. That there will always be an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos in our current. If, if capitalism doesn't fall and it stays, there'll always be exocentric billionaires who are just curious if they can do it, right? And that'll be our progress. Well, Matt, I was like, when I, well, go ahead. Wait, wait, Ben. I was just going to say, or, you know, 50 years ago, it wasn't these eccentric billionaires. It was, it was a nation, nations that decided to, to funnel their resources and all that stuff to do these kind of things. And I think that's, you know, the, the billionaire thing, you know, whatever it is, you know, that was something that was big at the end of the 1800s and sort of early 20th century. Then it kind of went out of favor and. We were more collective in our in our efforts, and now it's back to sort of being more individual. Um, but yeah, I agree. I also think though that progress is is, and when we're thinking far out, it's not just curiosity, which I think is really important. And I, but I think it's also like this idea of like of of improvement, of wanting to give something to something better to what you had before, or something better to you know for who's coming next and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's it's a super powerful motivator to to want to just ma- see everything better. Um, and I think you know if we start losing that, or if we get complacent about that, or not caring about what's going to happen, uh, you know, to other generations and stuff, that that could get kind of dangerous and uh, won't be very progressive. I I could not agree with that more. Let me just before we we move on there, and I said this to you Matt earlier today: the universe created life so it could break its own rules. Very true. I mean, did you very at true. Some, at some is, that, level, is that your epitaph? Maybe. Yeah, that, that, I don't is, know. that is. But, you know, just the, <laughs> you know, the idea of, like, what goes up must come down until you build a rocket, in which case now you're able to escape the planet. And, I mean, we, you know, the things that we all, we do now are still within, they're all within our understanding of the laws of physics, right? But I'm sure at some mm-hmm. point our mm-hmm you know, where we set the bar and the limit of the rules, the laws of physics, we're going to push back as we figure out more. Mm-hmm. And, but we will begin to be able to do things that would not occur na- you know, that maybe don't occur naturally, except for inside stars, except for inside mm-hmm. neutron stars, but maybe mm-hmm. never, maybe now, you know, at some point we'll have super colliders or, you know, create stable wormholes and just, you know, we spawned out of inanimate bunches of particles into sentient beings over the course of, you know, a, a billion year journey of life. And to think that, like, I mean, might as well have fun with the universe around it. I'm not saying trash the planet. I'm just saying that I, in the notion of progress, I think that we need to flex the fact that we exist. And while we sure. exist, explore to see 
what more would become or maybe the fact is like you know maybe there's a grand universe that doesn't exist yet of where we find out that we can turn the speed of light off or change things like you know god things that can bring galaxies back together and reverse dark energy and just like maybe there were a conscious solution that the universe doesn't can't do itself but we can do it for it and this is mm. you know this is we like transcend and, nature yeah this is like day one you know this is the human race up to now and just think of like if that was day one and and like you know you want a year that's all that, that's just the beginning i mean we to go to the point of being manipulators to save the universe i don't know it's pretty ambitious and pretty arrogant but no, no, and John, I mean, I, I've told you this, you know, my, my kind of saying that I always like to use is that all science started as fiction, right? Every idea was was not science. It had to go it through. Had, right, and, 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 you know, yeah. Ben, to your point about progress and curiosity, you know, the one thing that, you know, knock on wood never leaves is the idea of creativity and, you know, people like Alan Moore and Ron Moore and creating these these things i mean there's a um a podcast called um the elephant's cage i think i might be messing that up and I'll, I'll put it in the description but it is and there's an episode where alan moore sits down with four theoretical physicists and he walk runs circles around them it is the <laughs> wildest thing to see like literally you know the creator of watchmen is sitting down and <laughs> coming up with these like theoretical hypotheses about how something could work at the quantum state. And you just see these, these, these quantum physicists going like, yeah, yeah, that could work. And it's like, they've <laughs> never thought about it before. And, and, and you know, that's kind of the fusion that we're talking about here, right? That, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the whole yeah. impetus for this podcast yeah. is, is, yeah. is using the creative medium to bring science to the forefront. Well, Absolutely, man. And I and I was just going to say that I think, you know, we we have a sort of space aerospace bent to, to us, I think, be, you know, because of what I bring to the table, what John brings to the table. Um, and, you know, that is direct the what we did in to get to the moon or shuttle or whatever. All that stuff was inspired by science fiction and and in the fiction of the time to get to that point. Um, and same thing with a lot of biology. I think what's interesting about um some of the the notions now are are things like you know these ideas of we we look at a problem and we say well there has to be a solution to this and then it's the it's the creativity of finding that solution but there's never like a oh here's this there's this problem oh well we can never fix it kind of thing it's this idea yeah. that that oh there's 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 got to be an answer we fixed all this other stuff we just have to kind of work on it i think i think that's fascinating it's not just totally based in fiction I couldn't agree more. And just real quick, uh, uh, Mike uh, texted me. It's the Infinite Monkey Cage. That's the name of the podcast that this happened on. It's fantastic. Oh, I nice. will, just for the two of you, I'll find the episode and I'll send it to you guys. But anyone listening Thanks, or watching, yeah. you got you got to watch it. It is it is inspiring to see someone with zero training in physics just right. run laps around these guys. And like they they like there was even a point in it where like one of them tried to push back. Like, like kind of like exert his hubris of scientific prowess and then alan's response like pushed him back down and you're just like was this scripted because it's like just so good it's so Dude, good i'm i'm sure that alan moore has plenty of physics knowledge i mean if you read watchmen yeah. and you read from the point of view of dr manhattan and just like how his character exists in that quantum state there's there's a lot yeah. of info i think that was what 35 years ago i mean yes yeah yeah 87 Alan, Alan, those physicists were ready alan moore came came from, sorry came for <laughs> john that's two for you today damn it i know man the viewers won't know what we're talking about because mike will very elegantly remove it but that's two today <laughs> hey speaking of the viewers i feel like it's my duty to find out like how do you guys do some of this in your works of fiction oh wow how yeah. do you like handle communication and all that kind of stuff start plugging yourself come on so in okay so in beyond kuiper oh yeah, yeah before we get oh, to commun oh okay yeah yeah yeah. so in beyond kuiper <laughs> i'll let john talk about the communication array but you know, we created a um, 
you know, units of measure um, that was effectively powers of 10, which is like how it should be done. And mm -hmm. we and John, I should not say we, John figured out a way to correlate that and um, create effectively a, a table that transferred it into the metric system because whatever we use here in America is irrelevant. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and it's pretty amazing. And if you, uh, we'll, we'll add a link to, to that table cause it's pretty cool what John had put together, but John, why don't you cool. dive into how, you know, four and pious talk, uh, across vast distances okay. in, in beyond Kuiper. So in Beyond Kuiper, there are two primary methods of faster than light communication. One is using flow space relays. So that's effectively taking a signal, moving it into flow space, and then still moving it in flow space at less than speed, you know, at the speed of light. So it's not instantaneous, mm -hmm. but it's moving significantly faster than the speed of light in our, you know, in our mm -hmm. universe. Um, the other method is that, um, you can have quantum entangled devices, but the caveat is that they have a finite amount of data. And in the notion of that, you can send, you can read, but the act of reading once will destroy it. So yeah. you can use, so you can take two devices, you can quantum entangle them. They can be you know, infinite distance apart. Two beings can use them for either, you know, audio, video, data transfer, whatever they want. Um, up until that limit is used up and then they're bricks and then you would have to bring them back mm -hmm. to very specific facilities that are capable of re-quantum entangling devices but it's kind of interesting because mm -hmm. it, it gives it gives there's a general sense of communication there's general method but then there's also this very specific mm -hmm. instantaneous communication but it's not between big groups it's only between two right, very right, right. you know small paired discrete units and, and and you know to 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 plug one more thing that also uh, I will take credit because my name is on the book, but it really was John <laughs> that did it. Was you know Screen Rant, uh, which is one of the you know a great website that reviews a lot of uh, genre movies, sure. uh, noted that our design for our spaceship, the Nomad, was the most realistic spaceship design ever conceived in fiction. Is a pretty cool, cool. tag to get That's from awesome. Screen Rant, and you know, yeah. while while I take a lot of credit for it, some do and most not. Most of the engineering of it is based on you know, I, I mean, I I'm not um, over exaggerating when I say John had to have read ten thousand hours worth of science journals to come up with that design. Sure. And the, 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 is it a fusion drive effectively, John? Yes, it is a magnetized yeah. target fusion drive. Right. And, and I, I remember, you know, just to reminisce for a second, I remember the day that you read some paper about a fusion drive concept that's like 50 years out. And you called me freaking mm. out saying that you found our drive and that it was an actual <laughs> paper that is theoretical of a perceived ability of how to do a fusion drive in 50 ish years. And he was like, this is, cool. this is the framework for our drive. And mm -hmm. like, that's what, started, that, mm -hmm. that's where the first email correspondence is between us for Kuiper. It starts with me and like a whole bunch of math <laughs> that was just like, okay, distance, acceleration, deceleration, fuel usage, mass ratio. And I was like, we can do it. And I was like, oh, we can write the book now. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that's cool i bring this up because you know i think you know we have this great podcast where we talk about science we talk about science fiction we talk about all kinds of philosophy and stuff like that but it's important to note that you guys are creators and scientists at the same time and that it's very authentic and you're also both wearing caps and i missed the i missed my amazon delivery of my red cap <laughs> no you, your hair your hair is looking good that's why this has yeah. on because my, <laughs> my i Thanks, i am i am the bougiest jewish male you'll ever meet and i will Fact. only get my hair cut and i'm gonna plug her the sage is my is my hairstylist from new york and she is the most amazing human ever and i do not let anyone touch my hair That's other great. than her and i fly to new york but you live in los angeles now i no. do 
I do. He doesn't cut. He never cuts his hair in LA. He will only get it cut when he flies back. Only. Oh my God. <laughs> well, well, Ben, 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 to, to, to bring it a little bit back down to earth, just a little, not much. Sure, sure. You know, pre-COVID, sure. I don't know if you knew this. I was an adjunct professor at NYU. I taught a creative writing yeah. class there. So, you know, I was in New York a lot where it didn't really matter yeah, yeah. because I was flying back every other week to teach. So I was like, yeah, this works. Sure. You know, this last year was sure. a little bit, um, a little <laughs> bit trying. It's gotten, my hair's gotten very sure, long. Sure. My, my, my Kramer Jew curls really come out now. And like the stereotype Seinfeld is all there. Um, but no, I, I'm heading back to New York at the end of March. So I'm ve- I already have my oh, appointment cool. set up. <laughs> but, <laughs> It, yeah, you got to. <laughs> but Ben, you know, um, you know, Matt and I, yes, we we are, are writers, but you are also an educator. You, know, you are the president and the director of the Columbia Space Center. I mean, what? I guess to talk it's a little bit about that. Just ground, like who who do you ground, the, what the who land, do you work with? The land in which Apollo was built on. Yeah, it is holy ground. I'm sure the perchlorate's still in the soil. Um, ooh, ooh! When they told me not to drink, when they told me not to that. drink the water out, out in the water fountains in Lockheed, and I was like, it's... no, no, no! It's all, it's all been mitigated. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting to be. Well, maybe they did there. When I went to NASA, I also went to go fill up a water bottle in one of the water fountains, and someone looked at me. They're like, "Are you crazy?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Don't you know what we do here?" And I was like, "Oh, do I literally?" I went from one place to the other place in the continent where they did tons of hydrazine testing. Nice. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't let that one go. Keep going. No, that's okay. That's okay. That's amazing. Um, all right. So, so not, not, uh, one more thing from Kuiper that I think is, is, is important to note based on some of the other points of our conversation today in terms of Ad Astra and their ability to travel to Neptune and the Rosinanti, uh, in Kuiper, the nomad travels from earth to the edge of the Kuiper belt by the end of book right, two, right. book one has only been released. Spoiler. Sorry guys. But come on, you knew that was happening. Um, yeah. But on that journey, we really wanted, it, it, you know, you know, as you know, Iron Man said so eloquently, it's not about the end; it's about the journey. And we really wanted mm-hmm. the journey to stop at Mars, stop yeah. at Saturn, stop at Jupiter, maybe, uh, stop at sure. a bunch of these different bodies. And John, being the psycho scientist that he is. <laughs> literally plotted the year in which the planets would be aligned that was far enough away from today that the science that he wanted to put into the story could be relevant enough, but not too far that it was dystopian. And in the year 2092, where the book takes place, is very intentional because John actually used a star thingamajig and plotted mm-hmm. the exact year and month in which the nomad would need to take off based on the speed in which the engine that he created allowed for mm-hmm. that would allow us to hit all of those planets and not let neil degrasse tyson or bill nye yell at us which was amazing <laughs> man i remember when because it was that's awesome i you know i did the initial calculations a long time ago and then when i circled back and was like, ooh, we're not doing flybys like Voyager. Like, we're going to stop. Right, right, right. I was right. like, oh, God, we're going to need right. so much more fuel. We're going to need so much more propellant. And I was like, I remember Brody panicking. I was like, UT's going to need to make the Nomad look bigger. And he was like, why? I was like, because we're going to need way more fuel. No one's going to buy this if I don't get the mass ratio up. And you're like, really, is this necessary? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> this is great this is great and we we could we could go on about this for hours and um hours most likely and we we will probably keep this going on the next episode so everyone should tune in to putting the science and science fiction available all places Mm -hmm. podcasts are um mike is giving me the signal that we've exceeded one hour graciously and we should start wrapping up and uh i I will uh any final words ben and john no, just you know, I'm super happy to be here, and um, and I think there's you know 
no better motivator to get into science and be progress to progress than fiction. I would then progress. I guess I was going to say. No, I would good. agree there. Um, I would also just because that's something I'm been researching very recently. If you're interested in support, NASA uh, did not receive as much budget as it was expecting, which is probably going to push the moon landing out further than 2024. If you're interested in supporting space, mm-hmm. possibly consider looking into different space advocacy and lobbying groups. I just started. I just found the Planetary Society. Plug it. Plug it. Planetary Matt Society told me that Bill Nye. Nye is the president, and I'm going to yeah, look yeah. in deeper. But I don't know. I think it's it's you know maybe opportunity to donate and and hopefully you know yeah that'll lead to help. Like that's the most direct route of being able to to help NASA that I could do. So it's it's an that's idea. Awesome. Yeah, obviously. Obviously, if you're into science education, you know, you should also donate to the Columbia Space Center. Yes. You know, absolutely. The Space Center is a nonprofit. We we educate thousands of kids throughout Southern California and beyond. Um, and yeah, STEM education is our bag. Help us. STEM guys, thanks so much for... Facts. That's right. All right. right. So guys, thanks right. so much for being here at WonderCon. Thanks for having us. I'm going to leave you with one thing. But before I do that... Remember, it's putting the science in science fiction. We're twice a month on podcasts everywhere that podcasts are. Spotify, iHeart, Apple, you know, heavymetal.com. And just remember, Mars is the only known planet inhabited solely by robots. Thanks and good night, everyone. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.